Welcome everybody to the One to Go show. It is Puka once again joined by the Bert Lehman and the Ryan Aho. All right, the uh, UMP Summer Nationals have been going on for about two weeks. They started on July 8th and uh, we have not started off the show with them. So we're going to give them the um, mantle, so to speak, tonight and kick off with them. So uh, as we always or normally do, Bert, uh, we kick off with you. So what have you seen so far? What are your, some of your observations for the UMP Summer Nationals thus far? Uh, I didn't uh, watch a lot of the races, of the Summer National races, uh, but I did look at point standings today, and I was surprised to see Brian Shirley on top of the standings. I, I know he has one win in the series, but I didn't think he was running all that well, so I was surprised to see him at the top of the standings. Uh, tough break for uh, a Wisconsin driver who had a good run in uh, one of the races. I can't remember what track it was at, but Taylor Scheffler, uh, who's from down by Milwaukee in Wisconsin, finished fourth in that race and uh, got disqualified, though, because he was light at the scales. And uh, the article that I read on Dirt on Dirt, they interviewed him, and he said that he thought he got a fuel, run, a fuel runoff based on the type of seat that he has in his car, but that's only a world of outlaw rule. That is not a dirt car rule. Um, so, I mean, he said, you know, we should have just put a, a gallon or two more gas and they would have been, or fuel in the car and then he would have been fine. But, uh, it, it's a tough way to, to find out what the rules are in the, in that series. So it just, um, for all the drivers out there, make sure you know the rules ahead of time. I know you're racing, you know, you can race in multiple series, but you got to make sure that you're following the rules for the series you're actually racing in. Ouch, that's tough. Ryan, your thoughts so far on the 2020 version? Well, I didn't know that. That's interesting. You know, I didn't realize that there was a difference in rules there. And that just leads me, I'll just lead in with this. A late model should be a late model, should be a late model. It is sickening to me that the world of outlaws and Lucas Oil and UMP and Wasoda and IMCA and all this, they're all different. Dirt Kings and Tri-State Series. Ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. A late model should be a late model should be a late model. Get together. Let's make them the same so we can have good quality racing all over the country and none of this drama. Tough break for him. I mean, you're right. He's a driver. He's responsible to know that. But it's just, it's silly. It's silly. You shouldn't have to know that. Now, what I got out of the hell tour, and you talked about Shirley leading the points, and, you know, I think it's just who screws up less, right? It's between him and you know, you got Bobby Pearson there. I pick on Bobby Pierce a lot, but I got to keep in mind he's only 23 years old. I mean, the kid's flat out talented. He's fun to watch. He's young. He's still a pup. He's like half my age, which is crazy. <laughs> that just told me that's how old I am. That's not good, right? Literally, he's half my age. Oh, my God. That's not good. Okay, but the fact is, you watch them guys, and they're up on the wheel. They're pulling the cushion, slicing, dicing. None of them are smooth whether it's Shirley, heckin' ass, right? All them guys are kind of a little bit fly swatters. Now, I was thinking about this. I'm like, man, why are them guys, they're just really not that good on the dry. Why is that? You know, why are them guys so good on the cushion? And if you watch them Hell Tour races, it's incredible. The track prep, to me as a fan, has been amazing, right? It's been amazing. They actually, they got this thing, it's H2O, I'm not, I'd have to look up what that is, but they use it to actually prep the track. And, and they put enough of it on there to where it's actually sticky. It's like two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen, something. I'm not sure exactly. I think it's water. That's what it is. Water. Water. Yes, they use water. Okay. Yeah, that's water. Yeah, fair enough. And they use a lot of it, right? So you look at the track. At the end of the night, there's moisture on the bottom. There's a cushion on the top. Now, drivers in our area, they become soft. They're like, oh, we want it smooth, dry. We don't want to be up on the wheel because it's harder on equipment. It is. It's harder on tin. It's harder on stuff. But it's entertaining. And that's what I noticed. The Hell Tour, they haven't had huge numbers. You know, 20 cars. Last night was 14 cars because there was some weather. You know, I think they were maybe in the low 30s at a race or two. But they've had really good racing. In fact, uh, the, the high side, we'll call them the low side hustler, Fager, I think it was, you said it was at Highland Speedway. He came from like 14th, somewhere in that neighborhood to win. Unbelievable. I mean, there's been racing. I mean, to think back to last week, we talked about Fairbury, right? How awesome that racing was. It has been absolutely entertaining. The track prep has been unbelievable. And, and it's so much different than the track prep that I'm used to. 
Because in our area, they keep things hard, they keep it dry, they try to keep it smooth. And, you know, I'm not saying all the racing is bad. I, don't get me wrong. We have some good racing too, but it's just not the same. Totally different concept of track prep. And uh, I think they've uh, done a really good job with that. So I'm looking forward to watching some of them races this week. Puka, did you get a chance to watch some of them yourself? Yeah, yeah, they were good. And the thing is with, with the Hell Tour is like Brownstown and Fairbury, they're like the big tracks, the true like three-eighths mile, like that that Highland where Fager was. They were doing some of those shots from a drone. Did you see how tight some of those, that corner? I mean, it was it was tight racing. But like you said, because they do such a good job with the track prep, you can race. It doesn't matter what the size of the track is. And like you said, car counts, who cares? The racing is exciting. I mean, they, you know, that, you know, Unzerker can show up or Fager can show up or, you know, of course, Pierce is all over the place and Herb has been there and Bronson's been there. Surely, you know, the racing is great and you can see the crowds are good. And that's why the, the summer nationals have been around for like, I mean, it was the late eighties. So 35, you know, going on 40 years because the racing is so dang good. And they're just going, they're daisy chaining, found a little trap line in Illinois, basically, you know, they're not, they're not coming into Wisconsin anymore. They used to come into Minnesota. They're basically just sticking around Illinois. They're going to hit a little bit of, of uh, um, Missouri, and they're going to hit a little bit of Indiana. So, um, yeah, it's been very impressive. Like I said, the tracks the tracks are great. Now, I know you you kind of wanted to comment a little bit about, you know, being that we're talking about traction a little bit, you know, finding the traction and sniffing out the traction. Well, speaking, I remember I said it's whoever screws up least, right? So the other night, uh, Brian Shirley – I, just, I, I literally shook my head. I shook my head. He's got the race one. I don't – who the heck won that one? I, you, you have to look uh, that up. Uh, the, uh, K-Rob. K-Rob. In the yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. K-Rob won it. So, so I don't remember what track it was at. You know, there's been so many. It's hard to keep track. Spoon River, I think. Is it that okay. Spoon River? He, I mean, it's some of the names the of these tracks, too. <laughs> right. Yeah, they got cool names. So, he's right on the top. It's There's a big cushion up there. And, and guys, Brian Shirley's good on it. He really is. So there's traction. He throws her in there. He's fast on a cushion. And he was railing it. But then a couple times he didn't get in quite right. He picked up a push. I think he came in too soft. Didn't quite get the car turned. And K-Rob looked underneath him right on the bottom. Now he was parking it. There's a tax strip as wide as a car right on the bottom. The whole middle of the track's all black and marbly, kind of crappy through the middle. But it was one good lane on the bottom, and the cushion was good. And K-Rob got inside of him a couple times, and Shirley just drive away down the straightaways. Two laps to go, he screwed up, and what does Shirley do? He drives right to the middle. I'm like, what an idiot. Like, what are you doing? I mean, if you're going to block, go to the bottom, or go to the um, – what are you doing? He went right to the middle. It feels like a lane off the bottom in the middle of the drive. K-Rob gets inside of him, a little contact, but Shirley opened the door. He literally gave that race away. And, and I'm thinking about that. I've been watching a lot of racing, and I've been around racing forever. I've raced forever. And if you really watch, if you observe, if you're a fan, or especially if you're a driver, watch some racing, and you'll see that in literally 80% of the races, half the cars are simply not in the right groove on the racetrack. And in most racing, I mean, especially in our area, most racing, you have one, like, distinct good lane, and then you might have another lane that's pretty good. And then you have a whole bunch of the track that's just not the place to be. And it's crazy how people will just go to the place where you shouldn't be. It just makes no sense to me. And I, I just, I've always scratched my head. And you, I, I think back to some of the races I won, you know, and people are like, oh, man, the track was racy. I'm like, no, it was one lane on the bottom. But some of the guys I raced against were simply too stupid to run there. You know, so they slid up the bottom. I just drove by them easily. You know, so I, I just don't understand why racers can't figure out, like, hey, dummy, like, let's watch a race before ours, right? Let's look at the track. Let's, I mean, as fans, how many times have you guys sat in the stand and be like, why is he running the bottom, the top so much better? What is he doing, right? We, we do that all the time. I've never, ever lost a race ever from the grandstands. I've won every single one. I made the right decision 100% of the time. Always, right? And I didn't always make the right decision on the racetrack. But, you know, as a fan, looking at that, somebody that's raced cars, I've talked to a lot of drivers, guys, over the last, say, month. And I asked them, I said, you know, when you're getting ready to race, are you watching the track a couple races before? And it's crazy how many people are simply not doing that. They don't even watch the races before them. They're like, well, it was tacky four races ago. I'm just going to get in and go. Like, what are you doing? I remember Scott Bloomquist 
And he used to be a guy, I mean, you guys probably seen him do this. For years, he would be in the infield by himself, right? The race would be out there. He'd drive to one end on the four-wheeler, and he'd just be watching the track. He'd go to the other end of the track. He'd be watching the track. If he was on the outside, you could see he'd kind of move around. Why? Because he wanted to see if there was a distinct line. He wanted to see how cars were arcing the corner. He wanted to see where the traction was coming up. He was a student of the game. Now, he's lost a step. He's not on his game this year. It's a mental thing, probably. But the guy's one of the smartest racers to ever strap into a race car. And, and it's just called being prepared to race. And it's crazy how many people just simply, I don't know what's going through their head. It's like they're texting some chick up in the grandstands, like who they're going to hook up with after the races instead of worrying about going fast on the racetrack, right? You know, so it's just, I, I don't get it with some people, but Shirley gave that one away. He did capitalize. I think it was the next night he went out and won that one. So he didn't make the same mistake twice. But, you know, that's a, this something that I really observed was, you know, it's crazy how, how drivers do that. I heard any final I just, comments? I just want to add a quick story about drivers watching the track for conditions. When I was on MJ McBride's pit crew, uh, when we parked in the infield, you, you'd have to line up uh, entering turn one so you could see the turns one and two from the race car as you're sitting in line. And every now and then you'd see his hand come out the window and it's like, dump two more gallons of fuel in the car or he'd want some turns in the shock. So then everybody's picking up the back end of the car and somebody crawls underneath and adjusts the shocks. So, yeah, I mean, drivers who are on top of their game, I mean, they're watching the track until the very last second. Now you yeah, take that's... somebody that's OCD like me. I used, My pit guys used to just get pissed off at me because we'd have, we'd have the car up on stands. We'd be all ready to go. They'd be setting it down. We'd be checking tires. And, and, like, literally, I could be in the next race. We didn't have the staging deal where you had to stage a bunch of time earlier. I was, like, one of the last guys to pull on the track because I was watching as long as I could. So I'd be watching the race and be like, oh, crap, this is really changing. It's really getting marbly. I'm like, we got to change the spring. we got to change the bar angle. Like, literally, everybody else is getting ready to pull on the track, and we're changing the car and doing all this. Oh, man. We, and you know what's sad is some of the times, like, we'd have the setup already done. Like, it was good where we had it. Then we changed it, kind of thinking, oh, it's going to do this. And then we changed it back to what it was right before the race. Boy, I pissed my pit crew off quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, speaking of, you know, track conditions and, and uh, making changes, as you uh, all, all you fans know and as you two know, you know, I headed down to Superior on Tuesday for the World of All Oz. Guys, I could not have been more disappointed with Tuesday night shows. And like I said, not mad. Um, you know, glad they had it. Appreciate all the effort they put in. You know, they had those situations with the county, with the restrictions. But, gosh, guys, you talk about disappointing. I mean, this is Superior Speedway. And, Bert, I don't think you've been there, but, Ryan, obviously, you've raced no. there many times. There's an expectation that goes along with Superior, which is a pretty damn fast track, a tacky track and a fast track. And I've had to listen growing up here on Minnesota's Iron Range for 30 years about racers up here. And you were never scared of the Superior God, or God Nick Law Speedway, Ryan. But you know, as well as I know, how many guys would not race there? It's too tacky. It's too big. It's too fast. It's too hard on motors. I've heard it all for 30 years. And so there's this expectation. We pull in there on Tuesday, and guys, it's dry top to bottom. There's dust. And not that the racing was necessarily that bad per se. I mean, you could pass and stuff. But like I said, you go into certain tracks. Like, you come to the Labor Day shootout. And you expect it to be dry top to bottom. You're going to find out which guy, you know, is, is good on the dry. Heat feature, everything in between. You know, you go to Gondek Lawn, you kind of want to hear an engine war. You want to see a guy step on the gas. Well, it was anything but that um, on Tuesday night. And did I, on social media, ride, did they issue like an apology? Did I hear? No, no, there was no apology. Um, you know, there were some people definitely grumbling about it. And there, I think the feature was actually pretty good. You know, one thing that I, one thing that uh, B-Chef said is, as dry as it was early, he fully anticipated it was going to take rubber and lock down one lane. It never did. I mean, they were moving oh, around no. the track in the feature. Mater was actually, Mater did really good, and Lanigan was running the top. So they were moving around in the feature. Never locked down rubber, which was interesting to me. That clay over there never really seems to do that. But, uh, you know, the, here's the deal. The, um, some positive came out of this, right? So the promoter, I talked to Joe Staria today, who's the promoter over there at the Gondek Law Speedway. 
they're fully aware. They they looked at it and he's like, man, he goes, I, I get it. And I don't know if you saw Tomahawk. They, there was somebody over by Tomahawk come out with this new kind of disc type deal or whatever. Well, Joe Staria and the and the board over there at the at Gondekla Speedway, they actually took some time this week to talk to different track prep crews from around the country. Some of them down from Indiana, some of them from other parts of Wisconsin. They were trying to figure out like what can we do because this is ridiculous. We want to, We don't want this either. So they actually bought one of those machines. And it's coming, and it's actually going to be there for the Twin 25s. In the first night, they're going to use that that kind of disc to tear the track up and get moisture in it. It's for the Twin 25s. Nice. So I'm excited for that. That can provide some good racing. They're going to test it out. They're doing their research. And they really understand, like, hey, you know, we that's not what we wanted either. And I'm, I'm super happy to see that they recognized that and not only recognized it, but now they're going to do something about it to try to provide a better racing service for the drivers and the fans. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, because it was, you know, like I said, I mean, Bloomquist, for those of you that don't know, got passed in the B feature by a crate late model, okay? Derek Vessel, and I <laughs> talked to Derek after. He was smiling, happy. He said, made my night, you know. Um, you know, so good for him. And like I said, but Shepard said, now again, for those of you fans that have been this peer, Shepard said in his post-rate interview, the slickest track we've raced on all year. Superior! The slickest track ride you've raced how many times? How many times have you said after an interview, boy, yeah, I barely got this one. Uh, slickest track of all, right here in Superior. I mean, it, it, it's just, it is I did talk to Bravo. He went down there a few weeks ago, and he said the same thing. He goes, man, I've been on some slippery tracks. I've raced hipping my whole life. He goes, I've never been on anything that slippery. I mean, he goes, it was like glass. I mean, really hard to get a hold of traction. So, yeah, that's uh, – it was unique, but, you know, you ever think maybe Derek Vessel is just better than Bloomquist? <laughs> Absolutely. I've thought it all along. And uh, there were some guys that, uh, you know, kind of uh, on social media that kind of dug up some stuff that the lap times at the 1989 World of Outlaws race were faster than the lap times uh, in qualifying uh, at the at the race on Tuesday night. So, uh, But the fast time was set by uh, Wizzoto's own uh, James Nitro Giassi up in Souptown. And, Bert, you want to you comment on uh, Mr. Giassi? Yeah, uh, I actually interviewed him yesterday for an upcoming article in Dirt Monthly magazine. And uh, he's, I've never spoken to him before. He's a really good interview. Uh, but, you know, we talked a little bit about the World of Outlaw show in Superior. And, yeah, he just had a, you know, Wissota engine in the car, and he set fast time. So, yeah, I mean, that, that tells you, uh, you know, how slow the, the track was. And I did learn some other things from G, uh, from from him. And cause I asked him why he went to Cedar Lake rather than Mississippi Thunder Speedway for the two 5,000 to win shows. And he told me that uh, he broke a motor at the Masters. So he's got a different motor in the car. And they've had some gremlins since they put this one in. And they didn't, if they had a problem with it that weekend, they could drive 10 minutes to their shop rather than two and a half out, being two and a half hours away at Mississippi Thunder. So uh, that, that's a little bit more information about uh, why he made that decision. Hey, Bird, I had a question for you. At the Seymour yeah. show, when they did time trials, did they come across the flag stand and and when they went into one and two, did they have to immediately go into the infield? No, they they came out one, and then when they took when they took the checkered flag, they'd go around and come in, come into the pits uh, in turn four. If you went past oh, okay. turn four, if you went past turn four, then then you had to go to your slowest lap, and that's what Dustin Sorensen did. He went past turn four and did another lap, so they. Uh, they made him go use his slowest lap, but then he was light at the scales anyway, so it didn't matter. <laughs> yeah, see, that was another gripe. You know, Casey Schumann, I don't know if this is your your deal or what, but obviously with Zoda guys don't time off, and, and the deal was you went into one, you went into two, and you had to come right down. If you pass the halfway point on the backstretch, DQ. So Steve Larson has a pretty good lap, coast on the backstretch, DQ. Buda Slavich has a pretty good lap, DQ. You know, it's just like, I mean, they started plenty early, they had the time, you know, I think they started time trials a little bit earlier. There's only, what, about 30 cars? You know, we're not time trialing. This is in the World 100. We're not time trialing 100 cars. You know, just say, pull it. You know, I mean, somewhere in the back, whatever. 
But, you know, it just seemed like a little bit of a disadvantage to those other guys. Ryan, I mean, you've been in this situation. Go ahead and comment, Bert, too. It was stupid. I mean, I get it again. A rule's a rule. But, I mean, we're getting ticky-tack here. I mean, come on. It's it's like, what are they trying to do? I mean, what are they trying to accomplish with some of the stuff they're doing? I mean, no sense whatsoever. Um, Yeah, you're exactly right. It was actually getting quite annoying. Oh, there's another one that passed. Oh, there's another one that It's like. It's like, who gives a crap? It's like their time was their time. It's not like they're holding up the show. I mean, just kind of like the late, the staging deal. And they got all this. They, I think they have way too many drama type rules that they don't better the program in any way. There's no right. advantage. It's like, it's screw like the little guy. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're screwing the local stuff. guy. Just, yeah. Kevin yeah, Carlson, sure. another guy. I mean, Kevin Carlson, hardworking guy, shows up at the track, wants to have some fun. DQ. It's like, I mean, come on. <laughs> go ahead, Bert. See, oh. Go ahead, Bert. I don't know if uh, they said this at Superior when it happened, but I know at Seymour, every time that happened, uh, the World of Outlaw announcer made a point to say they were told at the driver's meeting that you cannot go past this point. You know, like, you know, they're exerting their authority. You know, these are the rules. And if you disobey these rules, you will be punished. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they said that over and over. You know, another way, and I don't know if you guys noticed this. See, the World of Outlaw guys, they run the show. When they come in, their race director, they run the program. They, it's their officials. It's their deal. They don't want the locals running well. They simply do not, especially on the northern swing when they're running against a bunch of limited late models. They <laughs> do not want them winning. So so if you think about it, do you remember that yellow came out? Eater was running second. Proxnell was running third. And uh, Lillo pulls up off the track. He pulls in. Far off the track, they throw the yellow. Now, I talked to some racetrack officials from the Gondekla Speedway, and they said, Ryan, I'm telling you, that was a competition yellow. There's no other way about it. That was a competition yellow. They wanted to bunch things up, and they absolutely did not in any way, shape, or form want to, you know, late model guys. I mean, I hate to call them mediocre, but they're not like your top guys. It's not Pat Nor, AJ Demo. They're not them guys, right? Eater can run good. You know, Prochno can run good, but – you know, I would say that they're above average, but they're not like your top guy, right? And they certainly don't want them running second and third. And they were looking really good in second and third. Like, had there not been a yellow there, they may have finished second and third. You know, they played a little kissy face out there, too. I don't know if you guys noticed that. Yeah, I was so, going to say that. Yeah, that, that, that caution was good for a little drama. It was. And I, I had to look back and kind of watch because I on that restart, Prochnow kind of – give Eater a little bump and Eater fell back a couple spots and that's when the the World of Outlaw guys got back by him but I had to look back earlier lap one Eater got into Prochnow first I missed uh, that completely I didn't see so that, right? yeah so he gave him the quarter panel then Prochnow gave him the quarter panel on a restart and then a couple laps later Eater got back by him and gave him the quarter panel again so Prochnow so get this Prochnow's sister comes down in the pits afterwards and evidently she knows Kevin Eater, right? And she proceeded to tell him exactly what she thought of his driving style. And, you know, you don't be picking on my brother. And there was some words said and, you know, Kevin got a little heated and she bam comes across the face in the pits. <laughs> it's like it's like so I texted Eater, I said, dude, you got beat up by a girl at Superior? He goes, Yeah, she got me pretty good. He said, I'm like Nice, nice. So, oh, so there was a little post-race drama there. She kind of open face slapped him a good one across the across the choppers. <laughs> she must not have liked his comment back to her, but uh, they they were kind of they weren't playing nice. So there, I don't know if there's some history there or what, but they they uh, it provided a little entertainment. But all in all, those two ran really good most of the race, and I was kind of hoping to see them guys finish second and third. And uh, you know, I guess. I guess we actually had the Wasota guys ran pretty well, kind of all weekend long, you know, and we can kind of get into that here, I guess, next. Yeah, yeah. Well, Bert, but first off, sticking with the World of Outlaws, you wanted to little, uh, tell a little bit of, Bloom, of Bloomquist story that you missed last week? Oh, yeah, last week I forgot to mention this. I mean, on this podcast, we've uh, mentioned plenty of times that Bloomquist isn't having uh, the greatest of years this year. And, I mean, you guys have been to races that Bloomquist has been at, and you go into pits after the races, and there's a tarp on that car. And, I mean, it's easier to get into Fort Knox than it is to see Bloomquist's car. And after the races at Seymour went down the pits, 
not a single tarp over the car whatsoever. So apparently Scott's not afraid for for other drivers to see what he's running. <laughs> I got a well, video that, uh, underneath I, this car right here. I was gonna <laughs> maybe say, we'll did put you it on the trouble. Did you yeah. get in trouble for that? Well, finally a guy kind of walked back, but I just said, "You're struggling anyway," and he'd kind of. <laughs> what's he gonna say i mean they are i mean he got beat by a crate late model you know i mean so uh yeah uh and you know there were there were people back there uh hanging around but you know like cedar lake i mean sometimes there's a line 20 deep but definitely that definitely wasn't the case there were probably maybe a dozen people something how like about that the vendor how about his vendor booth was he was he stacked pretty deep at his they were car? well they were parked up front but i didn't ever no i didn't see anything Back to I didn't walk over there. Um, I figure I'll do that at Cedar Lake, but um, you know that's kind of got got to be how he's making it this year, right? He's going to all, a lot of different tracks. He hasn't been to in about ten years because he's been with the Lucas for so long. And I, I bet you selling T-shirts is kind of his bread and butter right now. And I just think that he needs that. that there's something wrong with that car. I mean, would we agree? I mean, I, or maybe it is just that droop rule. But it's almost like I think the guy needs a brand new car. I think he needs some time to regroup. Um, but he can't with that dry Dean sponsorship, you know, I mean, they're all over the place. I mean, you watch dirt vision and everything's dried in on there too, but I, I, I just kind of think he needs, he needs time to put together a new car, put that one widget in there somewhere that does something different and he can kind of take off. But yeah, he was, he was bad. He got lapped in the future. Like I said, beat by a crate late model in the B and lapped in the A. I think his problem's right here. I think it's mental. He's just not in the game. I talked, I talked to Joel problem. Okay, I might get in trouble for this, but I talked to Joe Pravo. When when uh, Bloomquist is at Cedar Lake, right? Joe Pravo was down in Mississippi Thunder the one day or whatever. When he they were kind of in the area there, and yeah, Bloomquist was, was actually was calling him and texting him and trying to figure out, hey, what do we got going on afterwards? Like Bloomquist is more worried about going to the casino than he was about racing the feature. I mean, it was ridiculous. and he makes some money somehow. Yeah, his head <laughs> is not in the game at all, at all. Well, let's get to the locals just a little bit. Like I said, and that was, you know, like I said, it was, it was good to see, but it's not necessarily what you want to see. And it, what I mean by that, like I said, I'm happy for all you locals. You made some money, but when you go to these shows, it's different when you have five of the regulars racing for the top five and then one guy local shows up and he's really battling that builds a lot of drama. That seems a lot more fun than if you have, you know, whatever. Half of your top ten is locals. Bert, what are your thoughts on something like that? Do you agree? Do you, I mean, as a fan? I mean, as a fan, I mean, as a, for an outlaw or Lucas race, as a fan, you go there to see the stars of the of that series, but you also go there to see the locals battle those stars. And everybody loves an underdog. So, I mean, I, I think it's great for the sport to have some locals, you know, mixed in with the top 10, you know, top five competing with them. That's what adds drama. Right? I'm torn. I'm torn on that. I would say most of the time I 100% agree with that statement. But when they come to Wasota land, it's almost embarrassing, right? When they go over to eastern Wisconsin, some of them guys have open motors in. Like uh, Anne Blank had an open motor in. Yeah. You know, so they're – so they're on even playing field. But, I mean, if you go to a track and the track's so bad that a super stock is beating late models, that's just stupid, right? No, I agree with that, yeah. Yeah, so I, yeah, I'm going on the yeah. Northern Series, and I was going to try to put on that deal in Grand Rapids, and I'm really looking at this going, man, I, I just don't know. You know, I, I wish that our guys were all on open late model rules, so that way when they came to town, that it was like, a you know, everybody's kind of in a gunfight. You know, they're on the same page. But when you see a half a dozen outlaws that are running really good and a whole bunch of Wasota guys, I don't know. I, it, the entertainment value to me is just not as good as when you see, like, a, a race down south where the locals are on equal equipment, kind of like they were down at the, at the show me when four out of the top five were local guys, but they're on equal stuff. They're still, on, they're still open late models. <laughs> you know, what's your thoughts, Puka? Yeah, I mean, the David versus Goliath, like I said, it, they're, they're – I mean, I like that too, but like I said, if there's, if there's too many there, then you're sitting back like, well, I didn't really come here to watch, you know, some of the regulars not even make the feature and then they're, they're getting lapped. You know, there's, when you go to a big event like that, there's something about the stars, right? You're kind of, I mean, they set that up. So the stars always make the race because when the UMP summer nationals first started, remember the top eight, they timed, they, they automatically made top eight 
timers went into a dash. You were in the feature. Then they took the rest. So the ninth timer started heat one fourth. So that's how he, so he had to work his way. And so the heat races were really good. So the stars were in and then everyone else had a chance, you know, the world of all eyes aren't set up that way. They're set up. I mean, fast time, heat one on the pole. He's going to win the heat, you know, 99% of the time. So, you know, even like a world of all eyes sprint race, I mean, it's impossible for a local, you know, um, but you know, you, but you're kind of there, not necessarily to see great racing and passing. You're kind of see there to see the stars. Hey, I got to watch Steve Kins for tonight. I got to watch, you know, whatever, 12 lap feature, 50 or 12 lap heat, 25 lap feature. You're kind of there to watch them. Not so much to see fantastic racing. You know, if you go to Knoxville, or the Kings Royal, that's where you see the fantastic racing. When you show up at Rapid City, South Dakota on a Tuesday night when the World of Outlaws show, you know, show up, are you really going to get fantastic racing? Maybe you will, but maybe you won't, but you're still happy that you got to see it. So that's kind of where I stand on that. So, and like I said, I'm happy for the locals. I mean, you made a lot of money. You impressed some people. You probably felt great about yourself. I mean, let's let's move on right here. We spent we were kind of long on this segment. We, you know, the World of Outlaws went to Fargo. They went to Grand Forks. I mean, Morgan Ward making the feature in Fargo. According to the announcer, she's only the third female to ever make a World of Outlaw late model race. I know Jill George would one be one of the others. Bert, would you have any any idea who the third would be? I don't know who the third would be. Yeah. Not Brian, off the top of my re- head. Okay, did you watch Fargo, Bert? No, I did not. Okay. Ryan, what were your thoughts on Fargo? You know, a guy that actually ran really well at Fargo, Dave Moss. You know, he first year in the late model, he got eighth there. But uh, Morgan Ward, guys, she actually followed that up, right? She got second last night at the Casino Speedway in the late model. You know, so she followed that up with a good run there as well. You know, she's she's actually a pretty, pretty good driver. She won some races in a modified as well. So, you know, hats off to her. You know, the, the racing, they had the sprint cars there. My buddy Keith is a sprint car fan. i got to be honest, they drove me absolutely insane at Grand Forks and at Fargo. It's like these clowns could not stop spinning out. Like, they, it's like green flag, yellow, green flag, yellow. 20 minutes later, they push start them. It's like, kick these stupid things off the racetrack so you can get the late models on there. And so that was a little, that's one of the things that annoyed me with them two tracks. But uh, I guess in Fargo, I mean, Lanigan, I mean, he, He's been quietly good all year long. It was it was actually good to see somebody different win, right? And uh, actually, I was telling you before we got on the show, Saturday there was a Lucas race, a World of Outlaw race, a Hell Tour race, a Southern All-Stars race. My buddy Jeff gave me the stat earlier. All four of those races, four big late model races, none of them were won by a rocket on Saturday. That's got to be like the first time in a long time that's happened. So kind of an interesting, really interesting. stat there as well. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I agree on the sprints, you know, at a time of curfews, I mean, it's not 1985 anymore. you got to put starters in and, 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 you know, at least the starters that would help. I mean, rolling, I mean, you got the wing, that's what I mean, but I mean, come on. I mean, it's, it's 2020, you know, I mean, there, there's, there's limitations everywhere. I mean, you know, you just got to figure out how to stick a starter in there somewhere. I mean, that's just what it is. Cause yeah, like I said, they're rolling over and like I said, I, I like sprint cars, but, yeah, I mean, look at the situation last night. Let's move to Grand Forks now. You know, I mean, how long did that sprint car race take? 45 minutes for a, what, 20-lap feature for NOSA sprints? It was a long time. I mean, it was ridiculously long. I'm like, what are they doing? I mean, it was terrible. So we'll get off the sprint cars because we can rant on that all day long. Usually they're good there, right? But uh, a guy that we actually slid up into the top five on the power rankings, Dustin Strand. Uh, that was out of, out of the whole series that came through the most impressive run by a local 14th to fifth. And uh, guys, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, like he looked good. If he would have started closer to the front, he had a top three race car with a Wasota motor in there. He is one of the most talented drivers in our area. And he kind of hangs out mostly out West. So we don't really get to see him very often, but that kid is a hell of a race car driver and did really, really good over there at the river city speedway. Yeah, Bert, tenth win for Bishop. Uh, can anyone touch him? Is this thing no. over? <laughs> yeah, it's over. I mean, before, <laughs> before the se- before the season started, I when we picked our champion, had our championship picks. I said until somebody proves they can beat him, you can't pick against Bishop. So, he's- how big is his point lead? Uh, I can find that really quick. Yeah, somebody somebody take a peek at that because you you were right. Bert. I know you where said- you're going. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm going there, but I want to see how big that point lead is. 192 now, so I think it was 140 last week when we talked. Here's the money gap, hey? It's 192? Yeah, 192 on points, but listen to the earnings gap. 166 grand for Shepard. Second is still Ricky at 80 grand. He's doubled his money. <laughs> <laughs> now, now here's where I'm going with the points deal, right? 192 seems like a ton, and it is. It's a lot. But in the world of outlaw sprint cars, again, if you think about this, how fast can that go away? Okay, Brad Sweet had a 114-point lead, three bad nights in a row, two-point lead. So, Honey Shots is right there. Yep, and so, I mean, I think Macedo's right there as well, right? I think there's a few people that are kind of right there, but three bad nights. So is it unrealistic to think that Brandon Shepard could have some bad luck? Could he get a flat tire? Could he break an engine? Could something happen? So 192 is a pretty good wiggle room. I mean, that's a ton of points, but things can happen just like that too. And uh, so it'll be interesting to watch. I'm, I, I got to be honest. I mean, I don't wish ill will on anybody, but I really want to see them break about three nights in a row. Oh, gosh. Close that gap. I was clock. cheering for Ricky last night. I said, Ricky's hometown track. You know, half of Canada was watching because they couldn't be there. And he just kind of like in Fargo, he seems to develop a push a little bit later in the race. He got th- two thirds, right? So that's kind of yeah, yeah, get two thirds in a row. Yeah, he had yeah. some pretty good nights. But he didn't get off the bottom. You know, he was, con- he was pretty conservative, you know, and, and when he got into lap traffic, he kind of followed. He didn't go up and start kind of moving around on the racetrack. You know, I think I think when you're when you're not winning and you're a little bit off, the mental game kicks in and you, you, you he wasn't driving with a ton of confidence in traffic and, and that just comes from winning. You know, you look at you look at B Chef, I mean when it don't he puts that car anywhere he wants to go. Well, when you're winning races, your confidence is through the roof. You drive harder. It just is what it is. Yeah. All right, fellas, let's move on to the Lucas Oil Speedway in Wheatland, Indiana, where they hosted the Show Me 100 and the Diamond Nationals. Uh, big night for 26-year-old Peyton Looney. Shocks the world and uh, wins uh, the um, Show Me on Saturday night. Bert, uh, you want to kick us off on the weekend? Kind of what you said. Sure. Uh, I, I didn't watch it last night, but uh, you guys were texting. We were having our, our texting back and forth, and you told me who won. So I was thinking, okay, the track must have rubbered up or something. You know, guy probably started on the front row, track rubbered up, not much passing. Uh, so during my lunch hour or my lunch today, I watched the highlights of the race, and that wasn't the case at all. I mean, that, that there was multiple grooves. Uh, he actually lost the lead for a while and had to battle back and retake the lead. And uh, it, overall, I mean, it was a very fun race to watch. And and in this case, I love. I I'm assuming this is his first crown jewel that he that he's won. And I always love watching drivers win their win their first feature, or in this case, you know, his first crown jewel. Uh, I mean, you could tell he was excited before he even crossed the finish line. He had his fist pumping out the window, and uh, it, it's that type of thing that makes racing exciting for me. Ryan, I want you to recap the race a little bit as far as what you thought, but, you know, we also, like I said, we kind of touched on this a little bit with Superior, but, you know, is it good on a national level to have these national guys not showing up in the top five? I mean, maybe a race or two, but if it happens, say, for a month, is that good for the sport? Absolutely. Um, I, I think, it's, especially if they're on equal cars, right? Mm-hmm. You know, when when we went down to this, this was open late models versus open late models is what it was. So, I mean, the first night Peyton Looney won, and then, of course, the Diamond Nationals, Chris Ferguson won. Team Zero actually winning a big one, right? <laughs> so that, that was interesting. And there was somebody that was a, a Lucas Oil regular in the top five that first night. Buckingham has followed the whole series. I think he got fourth or fifth. You know, but, but the fact of the matter is, it's not like they're going and racing against a bunch of B-teamers. You know, think about down in Georgia. How much fun was it watching uh, Mark Whitener? I mean, he was fast and had a shot to be up front. You know, so watching some of them guys, but they're on equal equipment. So it's like open late model versus open late model. Now, that means that you got a good racetrack, and, hey, you get, you're going to have a good show, and that's, like, that's good to watch. But when you're watching somebody and you know that, like, Oh, wait a second here. This guy's got 200 horse less than this guy. They're on, they're like on a limited late model type rule, steel, you know, steel engines, 
and then you got us over here. We're open late models, and then these guys are passing us because the track's so dry you can't even hit the gas. To me, that sucks. That That's just poor track prep is what that is because, let's face it, if Superior would have been heavy, sticky, fast, you wouldn't have seen any with soda motors in the top ten. Sorry, it just right. wouldn't have happened. You know, but, you know, that down there, I mean, that's – them are open late models, and you see a lot of them guys jumping in and out of the series – all over the place when they come through even Tennessee, right? I mean, who was the guy just uh, a week ago or a couple weeks ago that won down at Bulls Gap? You know, yeah, that was Mitchell. kind of the same deal. Yeah, Mitchell. Exactly. Yeah, so you st you see that these guys are kind of jumping in, and I like that because now you know you're going to have a quality field of race cars that can actually compete against each other, and who knows? Maybe some of these guys will follow the series. Maybe some of these guys will gain some confidence running these and they'll be like, you know what? We have the equipment, and we just beat these guys. We're going to go to the Crown Jewel. We're going to go to the USA Nationals. We're going to go, you know, to, to some of those big events because we've already beat them once. You know, we have the equipment. We can do it again. But if them guys never run up front against them guys, why would they even go to the USA Nationals or anything like that if they don't feel like they can beat them? So I think it's really good for the big, uh, for the big Crown Jewel races. Bert, that segues uh, us well into the Southern Nationals. You had some comments. Uh, yeah, uh, I actually watched, uh, during the week, I watched two of the Southern National races. Uh, one was at uh, I-75 Speedway, and I had a case of deja vu watching that race. I'm watching it on my, well, through the computer, but on my TV, and all of a sudden my, my TV screen went black. I think the lights just went out. I thought I was at SK Speedway again, but that's exactly what happened. So I guess it's not just at SK where the lights go out. Uh, eventually, they did get the lights back on. But, I mean, the racing wasn't very exciting in that in that race. And then I also watched the race at Need, Needmore Speedway. Um, that that race also wasn't very exciting. I mean, it, it seemed like that it was only uh, the track. Well, we talked about track conditions this entire show basically um you know it there was no high side everybody was fighting for the bottom uh, Br uh brandon overton made a great move to move from second or third into first on a restart and that was it uh it was interesting in the one race uh um madden madden was involved a car basically just slammed into him going in corners three and four and Madden spun around completely and stayed on the gas the entire time, never stopped. So he got his spot back because the wheels, according to the rules, the wheels of his car never stopped moving. So he was able to get a spot back. So I guess the moral of the story is don't take your foot off the gas, even if you're doing a complete 360. <laughs> That is terrible advice. <laughs> I, I've raced against some guys that are going to listen to you, and I've seen them just wad up some stuff, right? Um, you know, what I got out of the Southern Nationals, we talked about Brandon Overton, you know, and, and that's in his home state, right? It's down in Georgia. He's from there, so he's following that instead of, instead of being up here. Four in a row, four in a row, four in a row for Big Sexy. So he's been absolutely bolted. Madden looks like a race car driver again, so that's good, right? He's got a couple wins down there, you know, so it's been – they haven't had huge car counts, but, you know, they, they've had some pretty good racing. Um, Bert's kind of right. It's kind of been on the bottom. Um, hopefully the next couple shows here this week are a little bit better. I, I To be fair, I did watch the, the race at Screven, and that one was fun to watch. Uh, there were multiple grooves on that track, and there was passing. Uh, Mark Whitner was – was doing a lot of passing. He finished second, I believe. And uh, actually, uh, Madden went from 12th to 3rd, I believe, something like that. Um, so um, I will give them credit for that. But uh, I don't know. It, it's, I don't know if, if the racing, if the tracks are always prepared like that down south or if it was just uh, because they had uh, extra races on the track. I don't, I'm not sure. Uh, need, but I, need need more speedway needs more water maybe we should rename it need more water <laughs> need more two parts hydrogen one part oxygen ryan need more <laughs> but uh, congrats, I, did, I was gonna say real quick congrats to overton he's gotta have a dozen wins now go ahead Bert. yeah i just wanted to uh say this is through six races so i don't think it includes the last one that uh, uh overton won but through six races um 
Overton had an eight-point lead over Madden, but Madden has led 124 laps versus 38 laps for Overton. So that's <laughs> that. But like I said, that didn't include the last race where uh, Overton led most of the race. So uh, so that would uh, um, evened up a little bit more. But I, I thought that was an interesting stat. Very much so. All right, Ryan, I wanted to touch base. Uh, we kind of gl- we raced through the sprints there a little bit, but uh, you wanted to mention Kyle Larson just a little bit in uh, talking about the sprints. Well, here's the deal. If he was running the World of Outlaw Series right now, I wonder what the points would look like, you know, because I think he'd be leading. Looking at this, okay, again, my buddy Keith, who's a sprint car fan, I don't know crap about the sprint cars other than they suck at, at Grand Forks and Fargo. We're going to have Keith on the show one night. We, we, yeah, we'll have to. But in 33, in his last 33 races, 20 wins and 28 top threes, nothing worth than sixth place. And, and that's been against the Pennsylvania Posse, the World of Outlaws. It's been against a little bit of everybody, some non-wing stuff. I mean, that guy is flat out a wheel, man. And, you know, I got to be honest with you, you know, you think about, you know, what brings fans to the track. If we were to have a sprint car race up in, up in Minnesota or Wisconsin, if you could get him to the racetrack, I think that's got to be worth another 500 pounds easily. Oh, I agree for sure. Yeah. Well, speaking of fans, how entertaining was Ryan Aho during the Superstock series this weekend? <laughs> have the fans not, on their feet? <laughs> not as entertaining as the racing was. Uh, hats <laughs> off to the Princeton Speedway, a little dusty, but there was multiple lanes of racing. I love Superstocks. I mean, I absolutely love it. It was race number one of the Fast Lane Superstock series. I got a whole new respect for announcers because my voice was gone. Guys, I only did one class, and, like, my voice was gone. I'm like, man, these guys, holy crap, how do they do this, right? But uh, there was some good racing, and the front row of the feature, none other than Shane Sabraski. He drew the pole, right? He got the horseshoe. Burdick started next to him. Sabraski wins again. I think he's I think he's won five out of his last five races. I mean, the guy's been unbeatable. And Burdick ran second, caught him in lap traffic, right? Caught up to him, and then all by himself, he slapped his right rear against the fence, drives it right off the end of turn one. And I'm thinking, crap. Now we're going to be a boring race now. I mean, it's over. Burdick's gone. But Nick Oreskovich came from seventh. He got to second. He chased down Sabraski from about a half a straightaway, put some pressure on him. I'm like, I think he's going to win this race. Yellow comes out. I'm like, all right, here we go, right? Timmy Johnson. Now, I don't know if you guys know anything about Timmy Johnson, but let's when he's on the track, something exciting happens all the time. <laughs> so he's, he's side-by-side Delaware double-file restart. He buries it into turn one, slide jobs Oreskovich. Oreskovich had, in my opinion, you know, and I'm not, I hope I don't get him mad at me for saying this, but he even said it himself. He had time to lift off the gas, turn underneath him. He stood on the gas. He drove right into Timmy Johnson's left rear, crossed them both up. They both lost a ton of positions. And uh, so that that's how that ended. But uh, great racing there overall. Ogilvy rained out on Saturday. We got the Superstock Series. It's going to – Grand Rapids on Donninger Ford Grand Rapids Speedway on Thursday, Gondekoff Speedway Friday, up to the ABC Raceway in Ashland on Saturday. But 41 Supers, um, very well attended. You know, and uh, there's a few guys that said they didn't go. Their engines weren't ready. A few guys that looked at the weather for Saturday and opted to just go somewhere else. But really good racing. And, uh, I, uh, you know, hopefully I did a good job. The one thing I did that I thought was kind of fun, I, I'm always an instigator. I like doing this kind of stuff. As soon as the races were over, I busted tail and I got down to the pits as fast as I could because I wanted to interview Timmy Johnson and and I wanted to interview Nick Oreskovich while they were red hot and pissed off. <laughs> and I got a couple interviews there. And they were kind of, you know, you could tell there there was some friction there. And uh, got got to visit and uh, got to visit with Hot Carl all the way from Texarkana, Texas. Oof. He was up there too. Get a picture of his cowboy boots, like I asked. Or I, I he wasn't wearing them, so I, he's going to be up there this weekend. The uh, Man, he, them guys can put away some beer. Holy balls. They, he was absolutely – I think he's happy Ogilvy rained out because I, I think he may have still been drunk come race time. <laughs> That's great. Uh, Dakota Montour, Bert, why don't you kick us off there? Um, yeah, I wanted to mention because uh, the IMSA stock cars were part of that, uh, six-race series, and uh, – uh, Eric Mollick from Green Bay, Wisconsin, finished second in the points in the six-race series. Uh, as I 
said last week, uh, Malik is a former Wisconsin Badger football player. He was a walk-on uh, and eventually became a contributor and played on Rose Bowl winning teams back in the 90s. But uh, yeah, he finished second. I talked to him yesterday in the six races. He had uh, five top fours. He finished second, 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 third, fourth, and he had a DNF. So he finished nine points out of the lead. So a good run. Uh, he said that the drivers there were very uh, welcoming to the travelers. Uh, one, he actually, uh, one of the drivers allowed him to come to his shop. And so he was able to work on his car at that driver's shop. So uh, overall, it was a good trip for him. Who's our Boy, champion, right? What? I was going to say, if he had a DNF in that deal, only finished nine points out, had he finished that race, he probably won the, <laughs> won the deal. Man, that's a tough, that's how one, you have them short series is you get one DNF and it could be a big deal. And that's where the mods, right? Ricky Thornton Jr., I honestly thought he was going to win the deal. Austin Arneson ended up winning it, but Thornton had a, he had a rough night in there one night. He had one night where he got called to the back and the heat didn't even race. And, you know, so it's like, I think, I think he was kind of crying a little bit, a little bit of whining that night. You know, I mean, you can call the, you know, I think he had the right call where they kicked him off the track because of a one spin rule. I, I kind of lost a little bit of respect for him when he just loaded up after that and didn't at least try to race. I think a lot of people were expecting to see him race, and he didn't. And he still had a shot to win that series. But I think Walla got second in that. He won that before, uh, former IMCA champ. But, yeah, Austin Arneson, guy from over in Fargo there, he got her done. Awesome. All right, fellas, we're going to move on to what we're looking at this next week. And for those of us that are late model fans, it's getting exciting because now we're going to, over the next five weekends, we're going to go four crown jewels. That's right, Ryan. The money is starting. So, you know, we're not going to count the show me this year's show me as a crown jewel because obviously the world of all laws were in Fargo racing and then they're over in, in Indiana racing and we did have the stream. So we basically had one crown jewel, but now for the next five weekends, we're going to go silver dollar nationals this coming weekend. Then we're going to two weeks, we're going to do Cedar Lake and then we're going to do the North South and then we're going to do the topless. So we're getting excited here. So we kind of wanted to show preview. me the money. Show me the money. That's right. It's time on Thursday night. We'll have the Malvern bank go 50, which will be a complete show on Thursday night. Friday, Saturday, we'll get into the Silver Dollar Nationals down there in Nebraska at I-80 Speedway run by the Kosiskis. So, uh, like I said, kind of the second crown jewel of the year. I'm really excited that we can get rid of the droop rule. If, if the nicest guy, Nick Andelink, is complaining about the droop rule, Bert, I mean, it's got to go. <laughs> <laughs> so, 53 I don't know. grand to win, right? It's 53 grand to win, which is, of course, Kosiskis' number. That's where the 53 comes in. Ah, very good. Yes. Yeah, but uh, but you you said that Bobby Pierce is falling off the Hell Tour and he's going to that Crown Jewel race, and that just leads me to think, you know, this COVID deal kind of sucks. You know, or not kind of, it just sucks. <laughs> it really like, sucks. Let's be honest, it sucks. <laughs> but you know, me, I, I'm glad that they are not running the Hell Tour against the USA Nationals. It's just too bad they're running the Hell Tour against that race. You know, I think that. You see some of them other drivers, if they had their choice, they'd probably rather go to a race for 53 grand to win than 10 grand to win. But uh, I think that's more than likely that's going to hand uh, the squirrel probably the championship if everything keeps going the way it's going. Bert, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Ryan. It's too bad that, uh, that um, there's conflicting schedules for this upcoming weekend. Uh, it, it's always nice when the crown jewels are, you know, are unopposed by other races. So you can bring the best of the best and, and let the best win the race. And, uh, um, but it'll still be a good race. There'll still be plenty of good cars and a lot of stars there. So who was, was uh, Pierce the winner last year? Bert, yep. Do you know? Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. That, that's what I thought. I did. I did hear Dillard say at his interview last night at Grand Forks, he is going home. So that was kind of disappointing to hear because it's, it's right on the way home, right? He's a Louisiana guy. It's like, you could stop in race a couple nights because like you said, we know the following weekend, your Prairie Deer classic, of course, Ryan has been canceled. There's going to be a week between I 80 now and Cedar Lake, unfortunately. So that's why so it's Dillard's going to skip that. He's not going. That's there? what he said in the interview. He said, he's going home. So um, I mean, I guess we'll see what happens here. So, huh, all right. Do we want to? Do, do any, of, any of you want to pick? Uh, make a pick, or or do we want to save that for later? 
Well, you know, I'll just make a quick pick on that one. You know, it's interesting. You see a race like that. Is Brandon Overton and Madden going to make the trip up? Or are they going to stick down? Is that Southern All-Stars race? Is that that field goes through next weekend, right? So I, I, don't, I don't think know. they'll be making their way up. You know, so if, if I had to if I had to pick somebody, Rocket one. I mean, how do you pick against B Chef? That that's my pick. I agree. I'm with you. How about you, Bert? I'll agree with you guys. <laughs> I, I'm hoping it's not. I'm hoping it's some somebody that just unexpectedly wins a great race. I think uh, you know we're all like excited to watch it, but man, it's hard to pick against that one car right now. It totally is. And like I said, car count's going to be interesting. Got the Southern Nationals going on and the UMP Summer Nationals going on. And now we're going to have this Crown Jewel, which is is about the furthest west they head, right, for the late models. I mean, I don't think they get too much further west than than Nebraska there, just outside of Omaha. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of what the car counts are. All right, race fans, we're into the last lap segment, so we have one to go. And it was announced this week that our beloved Jackson Motorplex right here in Minnesota, uh, they're going to cancel the rest of the season now. Todd Queering, who we announced last week, has bought Houston Speedway over in South Dakota. He's moving the Ollie's Bargain Outlet All-Star Race in August over to Houston's, and he's also moving the MSTS Sprint Car that was originally going to be held Labor Day weekend in Minnesota over to South Dakota. So now I did a little bit of research on this Todd Queering. For those of you that are deer hunting, he's the guy that came up with the big game deer uh, tree stands, deer stands. I don't know if you knew that, Ryan, but that was, and then they actually sold the company, it looks like, to some big outfit in 2016. Yeah, he was a big sponsor of Terry McCarl back in the day. Yeah, he actually, he said he teamed up with McCarl. The story I read, he gave him, like, his first sponsorship was worth 1500 bucks. Then, like seven years later, he bought the whole team, and then McCarl ended up racing for him. So this guy sounds like a, a, a crazy, wild, successful entrepreneur, uh, but like I said, he sold that, so now he's going to concentrate more on his two racing operations. All right, Ryan, uh, update on the Street Stock Series. You know, here's the deal. Girls got it done again. Talking about Morgan Ward, right? But Maria Broxiak, who was actually used to be Maria Konold, was her, is her maiden name. She won last night at the Casino Speedway when all the so-called big dogs come to town. Johnny Carter leading the points after a three-day swing out west. And uh, Eric Riley. Now, keep in mind, in the points, they, I think they run like 14 shows, and they only keep eight, Okay. So it's kind of hard to say who's really the point leader until they're throwing it out. And I was looking at that, and although Johnny Carter's your point leader right now, in my mind, Eric Riley's in the driver's seat because he has more wins and just the way things are set up. So I think Riley's going to be your next point leader. They head to Ogilvy tomorrow night, weather permitting, and uh, that's been a good series. I tell you, you know, we're late model guys, mod guys, all that, but then Street Stocks put on a really good show, and it's been really entertaining. If you can jump on Dirt Race Central, they, they – uh, actually had the action from last night, but they've had several of those races, plus they're going to have tomorrow night at Ogilvy. So, uh, and Wilmer, again, on Thursday they're going to. So check that out on Dirt Race Central. They've had some really good racing there. Awesome. Bert, uh, we've got an update and some breaking, well, not breaking news, but some news that came out about 24 hours ago on Hudson O'Neill. Yeah, apparently uh, he has left uh, the Masters Built House car, um, and he is dropping off the Lucas Oil Series Tour. Uh, what I read was that uh, uh, he's not sure what what his next move is going to be. Uh, but, I mean, it, it's he has a lot of talent, and it's too bad that this happened. It's not totally surprising that they didn't have the success. I mean, when you're out of the game, as long as Master – I mean, we all admitted we didn't even know Masters Built was building <laughs> chassis anymore. And uh, when you're out of this game that where technology is king, you know, it, it takes a while to get up to speed. So it's not totally surprising, but, I mean, it's unfortunate. I would assume uh, a car owner is going to, you know, get him into some races. Uh, I was joking with Ryan. Maybe he goes into the second Bloomquist car. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, you're up next. A little sign language, which we were using earlier. Um, Cedar Lake Speedway, the month of money. Well, I got to be honest, right? We're you know we're all excited about fifty three grand to win, right down in at I eighty. But five grand to win at Cedar Lake. Um, when this is the first big show, you know, in the Wisconsin area for like the Wasota. I mean, they're not Wasota, right? They're not NASCAR anymore either. But the Wasota type late models. 
And we didn't have any really late model racing this last week. And Mother Nature basically went to the top of the power rankings there. But I'm super excited to see what, what, what I would consider the, the top echelon late model drivers in our area competing for five grand to win. And uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just say Pat Doerr. That's going to be my pick for Saturday night at Cedar Lake Speedway. Do you guys know, is that on, is that televised anywhere? Is that on any streaming? Do you know that? I don't it's, know. Isn't it Speed Shift that normally you can, sometimes you catch on Facebook the night. Is it Speed Shift or? Speed Shift does yeah. some of their stuff. I'm going to have to look that up because, you know, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be jabber up at the ABC Raceway. I'm going to be jabber <laughs> the Superstock race, but even if I have to catch it later, it would sure be fun to watch that race because, let's face it, there's some good late model racing in Cedar Lake. Awesome. Bert, 141, hosting a big race this week. Yeah, I mean, 141 is known for the Clash at the Creek, the 10,000 win modified show in June. Uh, but it was either last year or the year before uh, they started uh, for the Einstein stock cars. It's called the King of the Creek, and it's 5,000 to win. Uh, which, I mean, for the nine say stock cars, that's a pretty good payday. Um, it's actually going to be a good week for uh, say stock car drivers in eastern Wisconsin because the, the king of the creek is Wednesday and Thursday. And then uh, Shano Speedway is going to have a two-day special, the Midsummer Classic, on Friday and Saturday. Uh, at Shano Speedway, it's two complete shows each night, but the say stock cars will be racing for 1000 away win each night at Shano Speedway. Uh, late models will be racing for $1,625, I believe, to win each night. And uh, <laughs> um, the modifieds will race for 1000 to win, and the sport mod, 600 to win, I believe. Gosh, they're throwing some money around out there. <laughs> I, I, I honestly, I got to give thumbs down to that. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a good deal. <laughs> but that's just another example. I wish these tracks could freaking work together, right? Because well, we're talking a five grand to win late model show at Cedar Lake. And you know, if there was nothing big going on like that over at Shano, that some of those guys would make yeah. the trip over, you know, or vice versa. Maybe you get a couple of the other guys. They typically, you know, I think they're scared of the Eastern guys. So they typically don't go far East, but you know, the fact of the matter is work together. You know, there's no, only so many late model tracks. Yeah. I agree with you on that. Yeah, for sure. All right, Ryan, uh, the Northern Nationals at Gondekla Speed, we've talked a lot about Gondekla tonight. Uh, they've decided to make some changes for their fall special, the Northern Nationals. Again, work together. <laughs> work together. Seriously, right? Okay, so they're having they're bringing back the Russ Larson Classic. And uh, I have to look. Was it 5,119? Let me, let me get the exact number here. It is... 5190 to win. So they're doing a different format. They're running Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and on, on Friday, they're actually what they're gonna do is you know how some tracks do the two heats and they take the point average from the two? Well, they're actually running three. So they're doing three heats. They're gonna run two heats on Friday for the late models. They're gonna run a third heat on Saturday. They're gonna take the whole accumulation of points, do all the math, figure it all out, and bam, there's your lineup for the feature. Now <laughs> Here's what's interesting to me. So, Gondekloff Speedway's got a great working relationship with FYE Motorsports, Chris Steffen. Okay? That same weekend is the Sites Memorial at River Cities for, I believe it's 9,200 to win, 920 to start. Exactly. So, that's like the biggest, other than, okay, they had the, the Rumble, which turns out to be the biggest now. But other than that, that's the biggest paying late model race. A whole bunch of them Wisconsin guys head the Grand Forks for that race. Now they have another race in Superior against that race, and, and they work together. It's like, good grief, guys. I mean, what are you doing? There's not much other stuff going on. I mean, the Punky's pretty much canceled. You know, so it's like, why didn't they try to work that together so they can have two big shows? Because, you know, obviously Steve Larson, he's for sure going to Superior, but I would I – would, I would honestly have to say I would be shocked if you don't see Kanta, Pat Doerr, all them guys. I think I think you're going to get most of the Wisconsin guys now going to Gondik. Is that going to have a huge impact on the car cone over at the right at the site? Well, Provenzino used to go out to Grand Forks every year. I don't think he'll be making that trip. I, it'll be a Jeff coin Massengill. Toss. Yeah, it'll be a coin toss to where they go. I think uh, the biggest factor is probably going to be the weather. 
Um, that's probably going to be the biggest factor as far as where they go. But it's like, man, there's only so many late models to go around in our area. And when you have two big shows head-to-head same weekend, that, that just sucks. You know, it, it just, it's just not good. I mean, it's good for some guys because now you have two people that are going to take home some cash. But it ain't good for the fans. The fans want to see 40 of the best. They want to see a bunch of them come to one race. They don't want to see – it's kind of like the world of outlaws and Lucas Oil late models. You half are over here, half are over there. Nobody – as a fan, I don't want to see that. I want to see Jimmy Owens and B-Chef head-to-head every night, right? Not just like one night in spirit. I want to see that every night. And that's what the, these guys want to see. And, and I'm going to be completely 100% honest. If I were all the Wisconsin guys, I would for sure go to Superior. Why? Because they're not – more than likely, they're not going to Grand Forks and beating their locals. Their locals over there in Grand Forks are really good. Um, you take Dustin Strand, is, I'm telling you, that kid is bolted. Brad Sang is fast. Corbett's been running good. You know, so you take – and the, 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 the Canadian guys can't come down, so that'll be interesting. So if you look at that whole deal, that Sykes deal could be in big trouble, right? Because all the Wisconsin guys might go that way, Minnesota guys. They might get some of the Western Minnesota guys. They're not going to get any of the Canadians. What's that car going to look like? That's not a good deal, but uh, it's, it's good for our area, right? It's good for the, it'll be good for the Gondek Law Speedway, and it'll be some, it'll be some good racing. It'll definitely be a, a fun race to go to the Northern Nationals for sure. All right, fellas. I think that about wraps it. Anything else? No, that, where are you guys going this week? Go ahead, Bert. Uh, well, I'll be going to the two nights at Shano Speedway for the Midsummer Classic. Um, I'm toying with the idea of going to the final night at the uh, uh, King of the whatever the name of that is. I, King I forgot. Of the Clash, King of the King Creek. Of the King of the Creek. King of the Creek. <laughs> <laughs> um, are, but no, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go I was just going to say, definitely the two nights at Shano for sure. Okay, I'm thinking, uh, you know, like I said, I'll c- come see you Thursday night, Rapids, uh, Ryan, Saturday, probably in uh, Hibbing. But I did want to mention to all you dirt drafters, I was just going to throw something out there to you for that. If you've got a team together and you're doing anything with I-80, I would say Mason Ziegler rather than Bobby Pierce. I would say Tyler Herb, count on like a top three, and I would feed <laughs> Josh Richards coming off a tough weekend and – it was in the B feature last year, Ryan, at this at the at I eighty. Interesting, interesting. So, so Bert, you got a couple big races over there in Wisconsin. Who's your pick? Is is Anvilink going to be or Justin Ritchie? Who's who's your guy? Well, uh, I would assume Justin Ritchie will be. Well, see, see when this race was originally scheduled, Plymouth wasn't supposed to race on Saturday night, late models anyway. But now I looked at their schedule, and I think they do have late models. So I. This whole COVID thing in 2020 is just messed up schedules everywhere. Uh, but I, I mean, if Avalink is there, I would, I would go with Avalink to, to have strong showings both nights. Uh, now, I mean, well, at Shano, you can race with the open motor. You just have to put a restrictor plate on it. So he can race with that, with the open motor that he put in the car. Um, so there, but, there you go. We may go to Cedar Lake for a chance to win five grand. I don't know. We were, yeah, that we would be interesting to see where he goes, especially with the USA Nationals coming up. You right. might go over there and play around with that. And, you know, like I said, I'll be at the, the Donlinger Ford Grand Rapids Speedway Thursday. I'm going to be up at the Gondek Lot Speedway on Friday. I'm going to be at the ABC Raceway on Saturday. And uh, I get to watch most of the races. But when the Super Stocks are out there, I'll be jabber-drawing. I get to have my second, third, and fourth night uh, behind the mic. So that's going to be fun. Race fans, we might have to cancel the show on Monday. He won't have a voice le- voice box left. <laughs> well, they always said I had a really big mouth, so they handed me a mic and they said, put it to work, right? <laughs> all right, fellas, that's it? That's, that's it. all I that's have. It. All right. As the uh, great uh, John Garabedian taught us every week, uh, back in the day, get out there and be your dream. You're tuned to the One to Go show. <laughs>